0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I am joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? It's great. It's been
1: a very big weekend of lots doing lots of stuff. Yeah, so. you've had some it's a good, it's a good, good back some crazy
0: today. personal uh, uh, stuff dealing with. I am to give a, a house update. I don't think we did this last week. Um, mm-hmm. I'm up to the point of putting. Uh, painter's caulk on the trim on the second floor that I keep mentioning that I keep was working on for a long time. Uh, doors, windows, and baseboard. That's floor.
1: Doors, windows, and baseboard. I'm, yes. okay. I'm
0: also going to do crown molding, but that's not up yet. So I'm just okay. doing caulk on the rest of the stuff. So filling in all the gaps and cuts and nail holes and all that's very tedious, but kind of satisfying. And then when we go back and paint over that it'll just like look just like one smooth piece and that'll be good so it'll look amazing working through that while i'm doing that um dad has started spraying the paint on the first floor um so that's coming along we have i think we have a plan for the kitchen countertop we're going to use um butcher block hardwood so that'll look nice i got white cabinets so i'll post up pictures when we have more of that we do have the cabinets and the and the knobs up now so that's
1: you said butcher block cabinets and i'm thinking of our local little butcher oh block the, shop
0: the butcher shop yeah you're putting up it's called butcher shop butch- cabinets butch- oh, oh okay all right, yeah all right, all right. white white cabinets black knobs and wood countertop got it which should be should be cool um i say so, so eta for are you feel you're getting closer like this year definitely this year i think um wow. we're we're Moving toward the home stretch the we're crossing off the big things and getting down to just a lot of small things. Um, at some point I might move back in over there so that I can um, just work every evening and I don't have to drive back and forth. Uh, we'll see about that one that that is
1: strong words, right right it's Strong words
0: um, um, other oh, wow. other than that uh, Andrew came down from he's living up in Michigan now, so he came down for the weekend and um we got the opportunity which is like
1: uh 10 minutes away
0: right it's about an hour (laughs) Uh, i mean michigan is 10 minutes away but where he lives is further north we're at the very north end of of indiana up here um anyway he came down for the weekend and we got the opportunity to try uh journeys in middle earth
1: oh yeah i've played that game i know that game,
0: (laughs) right um right Yeah,
1: I figured that was like right up your
0: alley. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this when we first heard about it. And I love the Mm -hmm. I love the idea of a Gloomhaven style game with um, an app to handle a lot of the admin, a lot of the 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 GMing part of Gloomhaven. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, And so when we were in town for Fox Dencon, I borrowed our buddy Aaron's copy. I think he's the he's the only one who has a copy um because i knew you guys were done with the with the campaign
1: oh i remember you i remember you borrowing that and i and i asked him
0: and he was like yeah sure and um so we have we have his copy and i set it up with uh sarah and andrew and my youngest sister mom and dad are down in uh tennessee for the weekend my niece has a show i should know what show it is but i think it's a play um
1: so so it's it's a Kid play games weekend.
0: Right, it's it's you know kids kids play games, and yeah, there's a lot I can say about um, trying to play a complicated co-op game like this while people are distracted. There's a lot of uh, things with um, what Sarah does for her job that she has to be constantly available by text or email, and <laughs> yeah. and then right. on top of that. Um, We have Andrew has a dog. Uh, My youngest sister has a a pet dog. There's a puppy in the house that they are uh, house training, right? Um, And then several uh, dogs in the um, puppy whelping area who have to be, you know, checked on and maintained. One um, One of the dogs had a litter of puppies actually just last night. So on top of the normal game boredom distraction, people getting on looking at TikTok or memes or Me or whatever, we have all this dog chaos, like distracting people <laughs> from things. And I'm like, yeah, the side of the box says 60 minutes, but it took us three hours because I couldn't get everybody's attention at the same time.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's something our our uh, our Clank game has been struggling mm. with lately. It's it's uh. I'm going to have to 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 buckle down on some of the people like we, we I mean when you play games you got to like I don't know it's, it's Mike uh, Trotsky or buddy Mike Trotsky and I we kind of go back and forth on this it's right. like playing the game versus hanging out you know right. with friends and mm-hmm. if you're if you're hanging out with friends and not playing the game then that's the point of playing the game but
0: right you know and kind of, and then and then the question of like how much of that is on you, and how much of that is on the game? Like, if if it's the same thing with movies and TV. If I'm watching a TV show and I'm on my phone looking at stuff because the the show is not holding my attention, like some of that is on me, but some of it is also on the show. Like the show is not yeah. engaging yeah. enough. I, this I, I keep going back to. Um, a Between two cities, I think the mm-hmm. the mechanic of working together with your neighbor forces people to stay active and engaged all the time it's the big benefit to a game with simultaneous turns right you eliminate the problem of it's not my turn i don't have to pay attention and and i do that like i there are times when i like that kind of game because that gives me a chance to you know like be cooking dinner at the same time or to go get a drink or um whatever kind of thing when it's not my turn but at a certain point, that that concept that um, practice becomes like we're all you know we're all playing a single player game together. It's like an MMO. Right, right. there are people and, and I, in the room, but you're not interacting with them in any meaningful way.
1: Exactly. I, I and those games I have become very disinterested in. I, and I think the first game that that really that you know how every every genre has a game that like. Um, defines it i guess sure uh, back in uh uh deck building games it was ascension mm. and i think that game was the first game that really came to to mind and it was because of the the whole app thing that it's doesn't matter what you're not what goes on when you're not yeah. when you're not playing yeah like it, and and there are you're right there are so many games that that doesn't and i know like our buddy pete will probably disagree a lot of times he's like well you know if you're paying attention you can see what's happening on the what board the and how that affects you and but stuff that, you
0: compare that to a game like um hero realms or or star realms or shoot any mm-hmm. any trading card game magic the gathering or whatever that's dueling and yeah. like you're fighting with you're obviously engaged when the other player is is taking their turn because they're killing your dudes um, yeah right right yeah.
1: but but a lot of but a lot of these games they aren't, and cooperative games can be even harder right. with that. Like this, this game that you're playing here. It's that, you know, yeah, it 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 matters, but you know, Dennis will figure it out, or right. tell me what to go or where to do. Yeah, and, I mean, then and, you
0: have a different kind of. It's funny, you know, the the sort of sociological uh, analysis of of different types of game. Like when you're playing a competitive game, there are different kinds, right? You, like I mentioned, the card games. Those are usually head-to-head fighting. Uh, right. Ascension is a competitive game, but it's more like a race. And then, and then games that are a race have a thing like last week we talked about Ticket to Ride, um, have a, a, um, a component where someone who knows the game really well, as I would say high skill cap, can play a race competitive game in a more fight-aggressive way, right? Like, if you know all the routes in Ticket to Ride, you can place your trains just to cut people off in a way that doesn't help you, but stops the other guy from winning, and that might help you win, and it might just... You might still lose, but have more fun screwing your friends over, depending on <laughs> your strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, we, we, a we were talking game, about this. A cooperative game can have... Oh, and so the point I was making with that is when you're competing with other people, there's natural... Um, like conflict that comes out of that, right? Because that's what conflict means. But if you're playing a cooperative game, the conflict comes from doing something together and maybe failing at it, right? Like, yeah. um, we had this a little bit in the few sessions of um Pandemic Legacy that I've played with my my dad and brothers. You know the thing the Cards come up, and the outbreak spreads and triggers spreads the virus across the the countries or the cities. And you know, one of us is like, "I told you guys we needed to focus on this," and we're like, "Well, we had to do this." And he only had two actions, And so now you're now you're in conflict. <laughs> you're working together, but you're in conflict. It's a different kind of um, yeah, a different kind of conflict. So yeah, go ahead. We we
1: one one of the things that that makes me limits me on my game playing abilities. I think. Um, or my 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 skill cap um Mm. that i think that uh like say someone like pete or trotsky um can do is i will play a game let's say like deck builder or something okay um and you were just mentioning like paying attention to other people's turns you know what they want and they go for in ways to stop them like the ticket to ride example you gave um and I don't play games like that, and I really don't like to play games like that. I mean, sure. I, I I like to play a game where I get a lot of fun out of playing any game where I where I have a strategy and a goal, and I get towards it, and that's what I do with the goal. And when I achieve that goal, whatever it might be, it makes me feel good about playing the game, mm. right? But the the minute I – a very valid strateg, strategy that, again, our buddies Pete and Trotsky will extol a lot oftentimes is that a key component of strategy games is hampering the other player. You win by making them not win. Would, and that's one of the things that makes them really good players is that they're, they're, they're able to read everything that's happening at the table yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, but when you're not doing that, then you're playing, like you were mentioned a solo kind of game.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, like and, the, the one that yeah. comes to mind for me is um, the Firefly game. Like yeah. you play and you're competitive, but it's a race and you're spread across the map, and so you don't like you could play a whole game without ever interacting in any way. Um, uh, like we we talked about, scythe is a little bit that way. Like you can attack, mm-hmm. but you get very little benefit from it. Anyway, we've we've gone on a rabbit trail here. Um, <laughs> we we did get to play two sessions of of Journeys of Middle Earth. Two, two
1: adventures, okay. Yeah. Two
0: adventures. So we did one outdoor uh, um, chapter and one battle map indoor chapter. I guess, I don't know if cool, indoor, cool. indoor, outdoor.
1: Wait, this had to be very difficult for you with the problems you just said. Because <laughs> well, if attention is an issue, that game has a lot of lore that makes it interesting. Yeah. And that's, I thought, would be one of your favorite parts. I mean, for you personally, I thought.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um it took me a little while to get used to the app. I thought that it would have voiceovers, and I never. I wish it did. Yeah, it doesn't. It so I had to I had to read everything, which is fine. It's you know like, just like Gloomhaven in that way. Um, voiceovers would have been key. Great. It right? would have been really nice. Like the the app version of Fantasy Flight's uh, Lord of the Rings Living Card Game does have voiceovers, mm-hmm. so like it'll describe the whole chapter intro before you before you play the scenario um
1: i mean for pete's sakes every single line in the elder scrolls online mmo <laughs> is spoken they can at least have you know the 25 lines in
0: that app sure talk. well they would have then they would have had to charge more for the game or the sure, sure or the app sure. so there are a couple things i really like about this um the the miniatures are all pretty cool um mm-hmm. i like an idiot didn't realize that the icons of the enemies were on the app when they spawned. And so when yeah. when the text would say, you know, spawn two ruffians here, I'm like, which ones are ruffians? Because they're, you know, all <laughs> of the minis are in one bag. And so I, I just went through and looked at them and I'm like, okay, that's an orc. That's probably a goblin. That's a obviously a warg or a wolf. And that's a troll. So it must be this guy. And then later, (laughs) later when I figured it out that it was putting the icons there, a little picture of them, I was like, okay, this one's a Marauder, this one's a Scout, this one's a Hunter. Okay. I was, I was gratified that, uh, without looking at those, I had pulled the right minis every time. You figured it out. I figured it out. The the, the minis was a, the
1: the minis was a point of weirdness for me because you see all the minis there in the box and within the first, like three to four seen them episodes all. you you've seen them all which is something that a lot of the, the the legacy games or whatever they have boxes that hide things away oh i see what you're saying you know so so like you see the the troll earlier on and you fight him and you defeat him and you're like okay anything else we have
0: here is going to be just another one of these minis groups are the same which i mean like gloomhaven is the same way you punch out all those they, they just have like 50 different monsters instead of four mm-hmm. um mm-hmm.
1: well it has a few bosses like it has like four or five bosses
0: yeah that are only used for the boss um yeah. and it, instead what lord of the rings does is you'll have the same unit but it might have armor or it might be yeah. big it or it might be a yeah. boss it's the same mini but you maybe put a little flag next to it or something which is cool i appreciated the ways that fantasy flight kept the component Count and um, by by uh, and and consequently the price low.
1: Yeah, and that's that's why they did it. I mean, when, when we that's what we came to the case same conclusion too was that like yeah we could get all these minis but the price would be doubled and the box count would be tons of pieces. Right, more. You,
0: you it would so. it would be that or you would get little cardboard stand ups like Gloomhaven has. Yes, um, exactly. And I exactly. I would so rather you know. have little plastic guys, obviously. Um, sure. And so I, I appreciated that, and I appreciated that, like, that's part of the whole thing with putting a big chunk of the game in the app. Um I know that some people don't necessarily like that, but I, I for me, I see the potential of what you can now do. You can do, you know, like, the dungeon-crawly parts of D&D without a, a GM or DM. Because you have this app, like the app's guiding you through it, and you can do things like uh, we didn't succeed the first scenario, but we Mm -hmm. just went into the next scenario with a set of, um, you know, penalties. Right. You can do that, and and the
1: app takes care of that for you. And
0: the app tells you everything to do. You can do that in a book, like Gloomhaven has that. But right from the start, Gloomhaven has the problem of the maps have rooms. And you're not supposed to see the next room until you open the door. In D and D, you can do right. that easily. Only like one person knows, and everybody else finds out. You can do that right. sort of in Gloomhaven, but that one person is one of the players who's reading the book. Right now, you can get the app, the Gloomhaven Helper app. That not the Helper app, the Companion app. Yeah, the those one are two that, different that things. It and and hides it. it hides the the regions of the map. Um, this doesn't, but that but
1: that, that makes every room setup a little bit more difficult. Right because then now we have to go look for all the pieces again and for that room and then
0: Yeah, I mean you would do yeah. you should be doing that anyway though, right? You just um because if you put all the minis out at the beginning, then you know before you open the door where the guys are, will be and you're not supposed to.
1: Oh yeah, we we always had like the tiles pulled and the the um all the miniatures and the, their cards all set up on the side. Yeah. And then when we spawned the room, we had it ready to go. But that you're right. That you, you you could see it in this game. You don't see any of that, and it's pretty easy to set everything up from when yeah. they, you know, when you they, say put a new tile. They down walk you it's... through
0: it, and they and they drop guys. And you can do like there are some things that the app does that you could do in a book. Right? You get to the mm-hmm. end of the first chapter, and you say proceed to chapter two. And if you got this, do these things. If you got this, do these things. If you got this, do these things. You know, depending on what how how you did in the in the chapter, but there are things the app does that would be hard to do without an app. Like I don't know how the enemies are spawning on the board. There, you know, you can have a decision tree to because it's software. Like you can do whatever Mm -hmm. to do that with game components. You have to either have it in a book where someone could see it before it happens. Right. And sort of cheat. Right. Or you can do it randomly with cards that represent regions on the board. But like it all becomes more complicated and th- then, you know, potentially super random. And,
1: and the app just takes care of that. For yeah. You.
0: The app just handles all of it.
1: And e- even if the app, even if the app is random, let's say like placements is totally random. You don't know that. Right. So it, it, like that was one of the best parts is that we just didn't know. Right. We didn't yeah. know how it was determined, who spawned here, where, why, and right. what—it just felt very like a game. Yeah, like this is supposed to happen, and this is our story type thing, which is which is kind of what the goal of like random procedurally generated stuff is. But was it procedurally generated? <laughs> we don't know, right? The, 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 the instruction booklet for that game was really great because it's actually very small.
0: Yeah, it just you know it just tells you what you need to know, and that's there, it. There's a setup guidebook. And a reference book. And in the reference book, everything's alphabetical. Like, I started out yeah. looking in the index, and I was like, why are they numbered like this? And then I realized that the book was just a a dictionary of terms, uh, like an encyclopedia. Um, you know, if anybody listening right. is old enough to remember encyclopedias. It's it's like Wikipedia, but printed into books. And, every, <laughs> and everything's <laughs> alphabetical. Um, what? What? um. It's so yeah, but th- but this this
1: was so simple with the instruction book. Yeah, it's, it's a you tiny just sit book. Down I'm like, and start playing. I'm like,
0: what does it mean if if your thing says hide? Okay, let me go look at the H. It says okay when you do this, and you could do this, and then the app would do things that I wasn't sure why. Like we would fight an enemy, and it would counterattack. Then its thing would turn gray. So I'm like, okay, he's exhausted, and then we'd fight him again. He didn't counterattack, and I'm like, okay, they only counterattack when they're readied got it. And then right. Um Sarah who's playing Bilbo, who only has who can only take 3 damage, fight you know, is in the space with the guy, fights him, he counterattacks, we deal with that. She fights him again, he counterattacks again. And I'm like, um hmm, okay, let me look in the book for counterattacks. Okay. Elite enemies can counterattack when they're exhausted. And I'm like, okay, that answers it. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, and and I think that we we went through kind of, or at least one or two of us looked through that dictionary for for major mm-hmm. terms, um, gameplay type things, as a glance over when we before we started. Sure. But but you're right, that kind of stuff you can do what you did. You and just kind
0: of figure it out. Along you just the way. look it up as needed. So what I was going to say when I started talking about how few and it's not few components because the game has a lot of components. Um, but it doesn't compare to gloomhaven like the it has a third of the components gloomhaven has if yeah. if even that um the thing that I appreciated, although it was sometimes frustrating um was that there was only one deck for both things right you you have a mm-hmm. you have a deck of cards with abilities you can use. Those are also the cards that you use to do tests. Um, The test system reminded me a little bit of the way that the 2D20 system works as far as like number of successes. And I feel like I've seen a mechanic similar to that before. I mean, it takes me back to the first time we played Gloomhaven and we were figuring out all the components. And you've got, you know, your hand of ability cards and then you've got your uh, modifier deck for um doing attacks. Right. And Andrew says, why couldn't we just have dice for this? And it's like, well, you can, but what a modifier deck does that dice doesn't is you can modify it, right? You can put mm-hmm. you can put an extra miss card in there. So now your chance to roll a 1 has just gone up. You can't really do that. Right easily with dice um well
1: also that game the neatest thing i think about that whole system with that game is that you have to you have to make the choice right like it's it's every card is a choice and they seemed at least with the expansion or i mean with the, the base game that we have pretty balanced for every every one like every card for every class is different and they seemed like okay. If you get this advantage, then we're gonna make it not have a hit or whatever it might be. Right. Or if it's got a two hits on it, well then it doesn't have a great ability or something. Right. No. Or uh, so you you have to play the choice of successes the die roll.
0: Yeah. Or, or it's or it's both. It's like when and Gloomhaven did this with their ability cards. Like I read that description of how the cards in Journeys of Middle Earth work. There, you have one deck of cards. They have ability text on the bottom, and on the top, they might have um, no icons, a success icon, or an icon they call fate. And if a card—and mm-hmm. anytime you do a test, you pull a number of cards equal to your ability on that test. So if you have four might, you draw four cards, and you're trying to get a certain number of successes. Um, if— one of the cards you draw has a fate icon. You can spend a point of inspiration, which is, it's sort of like Momentum in 2D20. It's a thing that you earn for doing certain things that you can spend to convert a fate into a success. And so when I first read that, I said, oh, I see what this is. So a really good card will, might have no icon on it. And a just okay card might have a fate icon. And a crappy card might have a success. Or, as I learned as we, as we played on, some of your really good ability cards have a success icon. So when you go into the phase where you ready cards, you draw on ready cards, you might have to decide, like, I might want to use this ability, but if I put it with my readied cards, I've taken a success out of my deck yeah which is is really cool it's like it combines it, a really it combines it. a lot of those um decision making and uh whatever you would call it, like a like a dice check it's a card it's a test with cards but the word for you know rolling the bones like making the making the test against chance against fate um mm-hmm. it combines those into this same um uh, uh, decision economy, which um, which I, which yeah, I thought and, was
1: really cool. Yeah, and I, I tell you what, when we first kind of recognized that, we were kind of had a sidelong look at the game because it was like, what are you doing? Here? Because <laughs> because mainly because the way a lot of our minds think is weighted. Everything has a weight, right? Right. And and so there, when you do something like that, you you can almost invariably say. This is worth more points on the card value than this is.
0: Sure, sure. It's, points, sure. Right? it's like so, um, so that, I I don't I assume that it's this way in Magic, but I've heard this in Hearthstone, where they say, oh, this card is a four health, three hit. That normally would cost this much mana, but there's some text on it that makes it stronger, so it has to cost more mana. Or there's text on it right, that makes it weaker, right. and it can be cheaper. Um, right so, so, so a lot you know, of that like, was yeah was, the card has to be worth this much and and yeah
1: and, and yeah that whole thing which which is one of those kind of you know, okay well then now you're gonna if, if that's the way this game this is our pre-thoughts is gonna be, gonna be there's gonna be there's probably this whole meta of what cards are worth and what you have to oh, do a, a rank then, a
0: rank list to be like uh, right d- these are the first these are the best in slot was, cards yeah
1: yeah our first our first initial thought was um no matter what successes are always better. Like, you know, that's the point of the game to hit like to, if you're rolling in a D and D game yeah. is to roll higher, right? No matter what you do, it has to be <laughs> right. rolling higher. Right. Right. So, so no matter what, never, never pick a card that has, you know, blanks on it. Always pick a card that has a hit, always spend all your points and cards to get hits and ignore everything else. Okay. But we, at least most of us quickly found out that that is correct if that's the way you want to play Mm. mainly so we had we had a one of our guys uh trotsky who decided that he was um entertaining a lot and he was (laughs) uh, how do i say drinking often (laughs) during during our games and uh, so he was having a lot of time so his focus wasn't always on the hard meta while he was playing and because of that he decided what he wanted to do with his character was do that route where he just when he, he got an ability to pick a new card it was a card that had a success on it if it didn't he would not so pick he it. would
0: just always draw successes he would it, it didn't matter what it possible. was so that he
1: right and then if a card let him draw successes that's the only thing that would make it even close to being mm, as good as mm, a success mm-hmm. which that's all he he played gimli and he was like the warrior guardian and that's yeah. all he wanted to do was to do damage now other characters were like i'll say for me for example i put misses in the deck low level cards that were 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 in the deck. Yep. Um because those were the ones that I equipped. Right? right. Right. So so that you take them out of your deck and you're always have an ability to do stuff what did you, and you still you, have
0: the higher ratio. You played war.
1: I played of with and a Pathfinder. And Pat Fider, that's
0: her standard. That's what Andrew played.
1: Right. Um so the 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 idea is that Oh I you, see you were you,
0: uh did Pat play in that game? I don't believe so. No, he no, he played the other game. Aaron, but, myself, but Chris, you were Pete and you were Jeff. frustrated after in Gloomhaven. Pat would always charge way up ahead and loot all the treasure. So you played the <laughs> class that that runs ahead and and loots all the inspiration. Actually,
1: and and I didn't realize that when I picked it. I, I didn't. <laughs> but funny. but that is how it ended up being the and and that's the that's the example is that uh, also um, some classes are if you look at their cards aren't necessarily about the successes they don't. That they're not a primary attack class, mm-hmm. right? Like the the commander or the um, bard or whatever it might be. Right. So getting inspiration is is good, but giving it to others is better. Or you get it a different way. Like the pathfinder doesn't have cards to put in his deck to get inspirations, but he goes and gets, gets inspirations. Right. But if you if you're going to play a game where you just put successes in, the pathfinder won't move. Therefore, he won't get successes. Mm. Right, which makes him weaker. Right. So, but, but makes him stronger and just flat out attacking. So anyway, the long short of that game, the thing is that that was very smart of the game to put the option that you can just play a straightforward stand toe to toe. Don't do any special abilities and just succeed. Try to maximize your successes. Mm -hmm. That's a totally good, fine way to play that game, but you can also play it where you play with abilities and to thin out your, for your successes. Right. You know, which which is cool. I really enjoyed that. It had a lot of depth to it. That mm-hmm. in that little card purchasing thing. Um, and even the the lower level cards were were worth stuff. And it, yeah, it was a really good game. I, I gotta say, I, I thought while playing it, I think I might have even mentioned on the show, while playing it, I really thought that you would have enjoyed you would enjoy it. Just because not only is it a great game, it has tons of lore. And it's right. You're playing your your characters, new characters. It's, it feels so much like the Living Card Game, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the characters and the theme and the artwork and.
0: Yeah, I mean, I probably said this when we talked about it at the time, but the only thing keeping me from buying it immediately is I don't have a regular group uh, uh, yeah. to play with. Um, right. I just I just looked over at my box of game. <laughs> what, whatever stuff it's got my uh several hundred tiny bags that i bought off amazon for gloomhaven and yeah. andrew took my copy of risk legacy because i guess he has friends who really like area control games and want to try it and i'm like <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like, like what yeah have. i was gonna throw it away or maybe set fire to it but you're welcome to <laughs> welcome to right. it and the, the pieces are not in bags he was like do you have Bags that i can i'm like yeah i do but i didn't he left and i it didn't, I did, didn't it give didn't. him those um yeah so that that was my only hesitation i'm like it's not cheap to just buy sight unseen and yeah the yeah. the other big things are i have a couple of opportunities throughout the year um where i try to get some of my brothers to play pandemic um oh yeah it's yeah. tricky because i have Four, I have three brothers and a brother-in-law, and my dad, all of whom could play Pandemic Legacy. Not even, not even to consider inviting one of my sisters. Um mm-hmm. And it only plays four, so when we all get together at Christmas, it's like well, you play Pandemic. And you're like, well, there are five of us. Is there something you know we play like <laughs> leg- we play Legendary or something? Um Right. So there's. The- I I got to give
1: you big props for keeping up with that Pandemic thing because you you've still been. <laughs> It takes dedication to make sure that you bring that back up. Well,
0: it's, yeah, I'm surprised that uh, we've even done as well as we have in that game. I know that some people have found it very challenging and, Mm -hmm. you know, we play it when we do play it. We often will play two sessions, right? That's sort of how that, how that works. Like once you get done, you're like, oh, we probably have time to play one more because it doesn't take super long. Um, But, you know, it's like we haven't played pandemic at all for over a year and we still end up winning. Like it was really close, but um Yeah, you know, we'd pull that off. So that's that was one part of my hesitation. The other part was I still own Gloomhaven. And we've played, oh, yeah. you know, a dozen or so sessions. Like we still have a long way to go in the Gloomhaven campaign. And I'm like, uh, I spent a hundred dollars on this game. Can I really justify buying a new eighty dollar game when yeah, we yeah, haven't sure. we haven't played through this one and we don't sure. you know, thanks to our our different schedules. I mean, for a while, when Andrew was living here, it was more feasible. Um, but Sarah very often has to go to bed at like 9 or 10 because she has to get mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, for her for her work. And for me, my workday doesn't start until 9.30. And so I'm regularly yeah. up until 1 or 2 in the morning. Um, so for me, when I get into the time of where I would play, it's right about when, when she would be going to bed. And then you yeah. know, Andrew moved and so that just became a like once in a while when we're all together, when there's Yeah, you know.
1: It's it, see that's what that's what when you when you move back to Bloomington, then you know, you just come over to the house I mean, and then we, we play it every week.
0: Then <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll come to Tuesdays, but then there'll be nine people, so it'll be a new a new kind uh, of a new uh, experience, difficulty. Yeah. So the
1: uh, yeah, it's it's uh those games, you're right. And without hammering the Gloomhaven thing again that we had is like that game is is I, I never want to take away from it is a great game. We we I remember the still the joy of the first <laughs> couple months of us all playing it and really, you know, oh my gosh, this game is so perfect and so amazing. I think I still think that it just fell short in the like didn't have a Kevin Feige.
0: Mm. Right? I mean it just a, the
1: where the, are we going with this thing,
0: The biggest know? the biggest problem I've found with Gloomhaven is that it, I mean, I talked earlier about conflict in cooperative games. Gloomhaven has more of that than it needs, than it needs to have, and I, yeah. I'm sure that that is a design decision, right? the The yeah. designers of the game like that thing where you're like, you know, oh, I want to loot the chest, and you're like, well, I looted the chest. Why don't you kill that goblin? Um, like, yeah. but I didn't want like. A lot of people, you know, appreciate that kind of thing. It can make an experience memorable. Uh, I am not a big fan of personal conflict, so, you know, that I don't have a huge tolerance for that kind of thing. But the things like everybody having a hidden battle goal and the way that you have to decide what you're going to play, but you can't talk about it. You can, but only in vague terms. It's like if you're playing Sushi Go, everybody is playing their card secretly except we're supposed to be working together so you know one person's whole turn was based around some attack but if the if another player played a lower initiative they go and kill that guy your whole turn is wasted and you you have only so many turns because you're losing cards all the time um that that's probably the biggest (laughs) The biggest flaw with, I mean, considering everything, considering how ambitious Gloomhaven is and everything that it's trying to do, like, the issues are pretty minor,
1: right? Even even back in the 80s and 90s when I would play video games and you playing side scrollers or whatever, and you get coins for Mm. something, a Mario (laughs) or whatever it might be, and then you realize that. This game programmer didn't put like when someone gets a coin, we both don't get a coin. It's just one of us gets a coin. I'm like, I hate this game already (laughs) immediately where now we have to have some kind of internal conflict where we hit the thing. Who's going for the coins first? Yeah. You know, who's hogging the coins? Who's. But as soon as the game puts in the if you get a coin, we both get a coin. It makes the game so much better. It's like. And you're right. Sometimes people like that conflict. But
0: uh, yeah, it's like League of Legends versus Heroes of the Storm. Um, right. But yeah, we played it. It was fun. At some point, I'll probably buy my own copy. Um, and yeah. Um, while we are on the subject of Fantasy Flight and their games, um, I had a. I don't remember what prompted this. Oh, I saw a video on the YouTube channel, Shut Up and Sit Down, the English guys, the two board game reviews yep yeah they're very funny because of their accents um they did a video on a game called marvel champions
1: oh the the, the app
0: i sent this to you <laughs> no
1: yeah it's a it's a uh like a living card game. it's a living card game
0: and yeah my first reaction was why have i not heard of this um, I,
1: you know same thing i think when you sent it to me i was like i think i heard about it at a gen con but that was like a year or two before it ever came out and i forgot
0: right, right? uh but anyway they they had this video about marvel champions this is fantasy know. flight right it's fantasy flight again they have i think they've trademarked the 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 moniker living card game um which is, oh, okay. is kind of funny but um that's there you know
1: I, li- I like those i mean I, you know, I yeah, like deck it's builders. A, it's I a kind I of, like card games.
0: it's a, it's a collectible card game where it is not only possible, but easy to own all the cards. Yes. Um. There's no See, you're, there's, you're already like stroking my the button that says like
1: I want to buy this. I want like, right? to buy it, and
0: I want to have all of them. Well, they did this. Yeah. They did this video on Marvel Champions, and when they got to the end of it, they had a lot of positive things to say about this game. but When they got to the conclusion, um, they said a thing that is a thing that I also don't like about Legendary. Um, you play. You take your turns in isolation. There's very little, if anything, you do when it's oh, when it's sad. somebody else's turn. And I'm like, well. If it's like Lord of the Rings, it also has a strong solo, you know, component, and yes. might be might be enjoyable solo if you like the uh, the Marvel um, uh, world.
1: Well, that, that's that's something that that I that actually is interesting about living card games, at least the fantasy flight ones. Like, that's not a downside to me. Like, I like the fact that it is solo. It's so weird. Some people will. I know in the past people would put down people who buy solo player games like oh go get some friends right you yeah know? i mean we had a just dumb we had right? a whole
0: conversation about this when i bought and played uh, the lord of the rings living card game because i yeah. i was one of those people for a long time and then i realized there are so many games that i want to play but i can't because i don't have the right people available at the right time At the right time. And maybe I can get some enjoyment out of doing this one thing by myself. Like, I play Factorio by myself. I play World of Warcraft by myself. Why can't I play a card game by myself? Like, there's nothing. There's no, you know, real major difference there. So, anyway, in this Shut Up, Sit Down video, they got to the end of it, and they said, we still like Arkham Horror living card game better. So, I think what I'm going to do is I'd, I'd like to, if... You have time sometime in the next couple weeks, maybe before or after um, ICGCon. If you want to get on uh, uh, tabletop simulator, we can try it. I want to see what it's like, not so you know multiplayer.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah um, the, the the hard part about those games is just what you said at the at the out, onset is that, and you know, how tabletop simulator helps alleviate is that you know you look at a game like the the Marvel Champions or probably this one. I'm not sure what it, what that is but they're priced at like 65 dollars or you know 70 dollars to for to start to buy into these games
0: this one so it's i it, it it's retails kind of at expensive. 35 which i think is less <clears throat> than lord of the rings i think they learned from lord of the rings that they have to keep releasing cards we should we kind of
1: got off our, our big board game talk there yeah
0: <laughs> we did uh what did we talk about last week a lot of stuff about tv shows books and, and comics or so full full uh bringing it back around board and card game this week uh so let's talk about our 2020 challenge oh so this was
1: a a thing (laughs) we'll we'll say
0: right a cultural phenomenon it's ironic not ironic it's coincidental that uh last night as of the time we're recording it's february 10th um last night was the academy awards the oscars and we watched a movie that won seven oscars back in 1962 we are talking about the 1962 uh epic war drama uh directed by david lean uh called lawrence of arabia
1: Lawrence of Arabia starring this is
0: about a, a real person, T.E. Lawrence, a real person, um, yeah. starring Peter O'Toole and, uh, yep. Anthony Quinn and Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan. Yep. Um, and,
1: and, um, can't say, can't, uh, leave him out. The, one of the few actual Arabian people in there. Um, <laughs> uh, Omar Sharif, Omar Sharif. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, um, <laughs> uh, it's hard it's hard because i mean we we've had in the last couple months uh, a lot of long shows sure it, which is funny i i don't th- i know we didn't plan it that way um but yeah. we have we, we had um seven samurai we watched all three lord of the rings movies we watched mm-hmm. um t- 2001 a space odyssey and now lawrence of arabia right and, and we were aware of it and it just happens but it, it just kind of came came in the last couple months so yeah, it's um, sort of
0: one of those. Anytime I knew we were gonna, we or more likely you were gonna have a kind of busy week, then and, and mm-hmm. one and our movie was a long one. I would push it off. Um, we've right. had some, you know, moderately long. Like I think, uh, Dark Knight was was relatively long. Um, sure, um,
1: but th- but this one caps them
0: all at four hours, right? Four yeah, hours. Yeah, the three. Three forty-seven, something like that. I mean, it's it's
1: the longest of any of the ones we watched, and and I and 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 I I started I started this process when we started watching long movies (laughs) with a a very negative tone of you know we won't reiterate Seven Samurai and some of the other things that I I I mentioned that you know I really bagged on it, which that still stands. It still stands that that I think that uh, you know a movie does not have to be long. It doesn't have to be long. You can do things and and not be long, um, and and that still stands for this movie. I I, I got to say, w- w- as we're talking about this movie, it's important to say how I watched this movie, and <laughs> and a statement that you made the week this week that kind of changed my whole perspective on a lot of it. Um, one is that I watched this movie in spurts. I watched it in about thirty to forty five minute breaks. Oh wow! Like I I watched a thing where I got to where it was kind of like um okay they did a thing and right. then i stopped it and then i would come back maybe the next day or two days later and watch another time where they would do a thing
0: it's a little um uh, uh, seven samurai was a little bit like this too and actually so was was 2001 maybe it's not that yeah. uncommon i think the movie 60s the movie being so long draws more attention to this a little bit but i mean we've seen like End Endgame was long. All three of the Lord of the Rings movies were long. But these three uh, movies from the 50s and 60s that we watched that are very long have their stories broken up into into chunks. I mean, it's scenes, right? All movies are made out of scenes. But um, because the movie is so long, a, a sequence or a scene can be, as you said, like 30 or 40 minutes. Um, yeah. Where a, the, where a the... modern scene is... is usually going to be resolved in a shorter period of time because everything's more compressed.
1: Right. Well, also something that, that ties these things together and it bears talking about when we're, we're looking at this, uh, these long movies uh, in, in historically long movies, I should say. And, and I'm talking about pre eighties, right. Be- before then they, okay. they were, I'm not making a wildly generalized statement here, but <laughs> they weren't like they were the journey the long movies were made to be long because they were about the journey. It wasn't, sure. it wasn't about necessarily the goal or the overall story. It's the same thing of the Lord of the Rings, like the, the book and such so, you know, it's not about getting the ring to Mount doom. It's all of the things that you experience along the way.
0: Yeah. And um, you'll get, and you'll get things, you know, you'll, you'll have moments of, uh, you know, where something resonates with you or something like that. But th- that's not the whole, the whole movie. I, while not while I was watching this, I watched this in just two sittings. I watched okay. up until the intermission, and then one night that was Saturday night, and then last night I watched everything from the intermission onward. That's um,
1: interesting because they're 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 not even. It's not like no, half the movie. In the
0: no, which is a which is an interesting th- sort of thing. I think it's somewhere around like because cause they do this in plays, right? A, a three act play the first act is usually pretty short.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I think the intermission often goes after the second act. Um, yeah. And I can't, that's just sort of my, no, my vague reckon on that. But I did a little bit of quote unquote research about this, thinking about the idea that's of, good. of intermissions, right? Like we've watched three movies now that have intermissions, yep. all three of these long ones that we mentioned. And, and, and what you're
1: about to say is the thing I was mentioning earlier that's has changed my mind about, not changed my mind, but made me think of it differently.
0: Mm. Um, I do have a funny thing about that when we get to that, but um, I thought, I wondered when this was phased out because we don't do this anymore. I said this when Lord of the Rings came out, because I actually saw Lawrence of Arabia before Lord of the Rings. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It was about, you know, my late teens, early twenties when I was thinking about wanting to, you know, experience some classic stuff like the old James Bond movies and stuff like that. And I watched this and it had an intermission. And I'm like, when did we stop doing this? Like, if Peter Jackson is going to put out Lord of the Rings in the theater at a three hour runtime, like that was the short version. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, why don't they put an intermission in so that we can go to the bathroom and maybe buy some more popcorn and uh, yeah. uh, stuff like that. I found a Reddit thread, which is not, you know, foremost authority mm-hmm. on anything. Um, the original person asked, you know, when did we stop doing this in the U.S.? And uh, somebody said, I can't remember the movie, but it was a movie in like 1982. It was the last one, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And, unless you count uh, Tarantino's... Um, Hateful Hateful Eight, 8, oh, hateful uh, 8. Okay, yeah. which which was done in a you know uh, like a grindhouse kind of style, so it's you know brings back that old yeah. that old thing, and it wasn't even all theaters; like only select theaters had the intermission version. But um, so people had a lot of quips and comments and anecdotes. Uh, some countries still put intermissions in their movies, even if the movies weren't made with intermissions. Um, and so they'll sometimes like cut it in mid, (laughs) in mid scene. Um, in India, I guess a lot of Bollywood movies are very long, have long runtime still. And so they'll put in intermissions in the production. Um, most people say that, um, the intermission served two purposes. Well, originally the intermission in a film intermission in a in a stage production is a sort of break for the performers right if they need to change sets or yeah. you know do some more intricate costume changes or anything like that and then the audience gets to gets to stand up and but then maybe have a play generally has a longer runtime than a movie a runtime isn't even the right word for that um but when films were shown on projectors the the reel of film could only you know would only run so long and so mm-hmm. a movie had two reels and the intermission was the time where they would change out the reels that um makes sense. eventually they perfected the technology of basically um having two projectors and so the second reel is on the second projector and you switch them over yeah there's there's just one frame in between and the audience doesn't even see it it's yeah a, it's a fight club callback um yeah. And nice. so, so they didn't they didn't need that. Then there was also a gap um, in the first wave of 3D movies, like in the 50s or 60s, um, where they were using both projectors to make the 3D image, and so yeah. they couldn't they couldn't do that switch um, because they were using both projectors all the time. Um, of course, now movie distribution is all digital. And so yeah. there's none of that uh, kind of practical need. The, the more um, like cultural theory people have is that in this time, like in the 60s and 70s, um, going to a movie was more of an event. And mm-hmm. um, the theater – theaters would do things like double features, right? right? So like the whole concept of a double feature – is that it's different from the normal feature. So the normal feature was to show one movie. They'd show one movie a night. And so they'd put this break in between for people to go. And then as culture changed, as culture changed, as people got TVs and didn't need to go to the theater to see, um, PSAs and news and, and stuff like that. Um, they shifted to this, like how many showings, Can we fit in in a day? Like, yes, we could sell more popcorn if we put an intermission, but if we cut out the intermissions and get one more showing, we're going to sell more concessions and sell more tickets. Right. Um, And so they they moved into this. And I think that idea of a movie going to a movie being an event for the evening also plays into what you're talking about, where a lot of it is just about the journey um yeah i do want to if we're gonna which we should get into the actual details of the story we should hit the, the actual movie <laughs> no, the,
1: well, the, the thing about the the intermission for me and what you had said in one of the group things and it was from our reddit thread which was a little tongue-in-cheek but it made a lot of sense is that they started making multiple movies You just, you just, if you, you have sequels and, and triplets and stuff like that. So if you're going to make a four hour movie, you just make it two, two hour movies. And that makes a whole lot of sense. And, and that, that to me is enjoyable. Like it's, it's hard for me to sit down and think, I mean, I'm not old enough to think I can't sit in the movie theater all day. I still do that, (laughs) but, but still sitting for one story is, is pretty exhausting to sit and, and watch one story for four hours. And this is the guy that watched the Lord of the Rings extended editions <laughs> twice and things like that. So, so it, it still is, it's very exhausting. Um, you have to really, really be into whatever it is. Um, and the, the chances that every single person watching it is, is going to be almost nothing. Uh, so Lawrence of Arabia w- was that same way for me. It's that it was um, because I viewed it kind of episodically, It was okay. Mm -hmm. I got it. I watched the the entire series in a week, right? I binged watch the series instead of, you know, which made it much more bite-sized and manageable. And I didn't feel like it was exhausting. It was like I watched Lawrence go from his, you know, boring job to rally the troops to get and take over Aqaba. And he did. And that was a great episode. And then the next one he goes and he has to go back up and he's struggling with, um, you know, his identity. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's an episode. And I was like th- this. It worked so well for me to look at it that way. And if they had broken this, m- this movie into two parts, two different movies, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought it was too long. Now, if I had sat down and watched it all, I think I would have had nothing but kind of disdain for it <laughs> because it was so long. I no, mean so, this
0: so this sort of format of story um in the short term in the you know 70s 80s um became what we called a mini series um yeah, yeah. now now a days right present mm-hmm. present day for the last 5 years um we would maybe call it a limited series or yeah. um or just a uh you know something like the wire uh, where yeah. it's just, you know, the story told, or like we've talked about um, serial versus episodic. It's just serialized storytelling. Um, yeah.
1: And, and this didn't have a, it didn't have, that's the thing about the show that, that I think is kind of a knock on it for, at least for me, is that it doesn't have a real point, right? There's not, sure. there kind of is, but, and, and I guess T.E. Lawrence does have some character development throughout mm-hmm. it that's probably the, the biggest thing that was successful i thought they did a good job of um but it it didn't do anything more. there was so much more of it and and I, and i just like all these long movies i could not help but think like okay that last 10 minutes probably could just been should have been edited out if there was a better editor you know cuz sure. it didn't do anything it didn't sure. do anything it just you know he's sitting there thinking about something
0: and, <laughs> right you know, so they spent 10 um, minutes
1: talking about maps and you like they don't need that
0: right so uh, let's talk about the the story and its conclusion. And for that, I'm going to hit the spoiler bell.
1: So this starts with him dying, right? Like he is uh, – they should like, oh, people didn't know him, which is a weird way to start this.
0: Um, well, it's in from the beginning. It's like um, yeah. Chernobyl was made this way. You'd like start at the beginning and go, okay, this is – this is where this guy's life ends, and he's, you know, uh, um, notorious. He's people; A lot of people knew him and had good opinion of him. Uh, like, they just didn't know knew, him. Knew of him, but almost nobody knew him. And right. it's sort of, I mean, that's a reflection on the actual T.E. Lawrence. I watched a uh, short YouTube video after I finished the movie, and I meant to send it to you, and I forgot. Um, a guy does history videos, and he did a video about the real T.E. Lawrence. And he actually did these things, but he also sort of like, uh, built up his own legend. Right. Sure. Yeah. Exaggerated his stories. The actual Aqaba was, um, you know, almost deserted. And so like they overran it and he, he whipped it up as this big, uh, you know, grand achievement. And, um, then in the, you know, there's a whole conversation that's outside really the scope of our conversation about this movie, about what happened to that region after that. Like it was basically divided up by that treaty that he told him not to sign and, you know, set set up set off a sequence of events that became all this conflict that we've had in the Middle East for the last hundred years. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm Or or.
1: That, that whole land has been, and I, I will say that for, for this movie is that it does give you a good at least as an adult watching this movie it gives you kind of a perspective that you know this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years it's still going on this this tribal fighting and, right. it, and it's and you know you wonder over there and people look over there and like why can 't they get their act together or i don't understand who's president of Iraq or who's doing mm-hmm. you know it's it's not that's not how it works, how it's never worked. And there's, right. there's a couple scenes in this movie that, that that go to pains to explain that to you, which is a pretty good history lesson this movie gives you. It really accurately does. Uh, the scene in particular I'm talking about is that he gets this um, uh, this guy who's a tribal leader and he's just passionate about whatever he's passionate about and he's just constantly going. And then he's got another tribal leader who has specific goals for his master – Mm-hmm. and they have to go do this specific thing and you know they they don't necessarily like each other but they're fine they kind of respect each other as tribes and then one person within their tribe attacks another person and then it's like okay well i guess we're at war you right. know with each other and then thankfully lawrence steps in and actually solves that by being a, an impartial person but that that's a perfect example of how Things are over there. One thing happens. Okay, well, this is how it's done. We fight now. You know, right. there's no saving face. There's, you know, he killed a person. We have to kill him. And therefore, since we're killing him, you're killing us. And then it's just,
0: yeah, we're back bl- at war. Blood, blood answers blood. And yeah. the, they there's also the thing, I forget the line. He says, he says, nobody, you know, Arabs live in the desert. And even we don't love the desert. We love right. water water. And, and green trees and yeah, and green trees, a couple of other things. But you have this notion of what's the relationship of the people to the land. Right. Like um that was the central, at least in my mind, that was the central conflict here in the U.S. when, uh, you know, the the Americans drove out the natives or, you know, mm-hmm. drove out or like put them in reservations or just. Yeah slaughtered them um because we had a different idea of how we relate to the land we draw borders on our land and own it and protect it it's right. you know it was part of our separation from from England and the land being owned by the king like we started with this european notion of owning the land where the natives native americans were nomadic like they traveled and they might have significant pieces of land but they moved wherever they needed to to survive and i think there's a there's a strong element of that with arab people because their land is mostly worthless yeah yeah it's it's desert and so they they have things that they value very highly like a well but they don't have borders on their land because you know big chunks of it are just desert like why do you need a border around the it's just a desert it's not it's not right. worth anything yeah, the, the, to anybody. The, and so their um their identity, the identity of their tribe, like when we had tribes, our tribe was a village. It was people who all owned property in the same physical space.
1: Yeah, right.
0: There and the Native Americans and the and the you know Arabian as I understand it, again, this is all my kind of conjecture. Um their idea of a tribe was The people and just the people. I mean, that's how the uh, the people of Israel survived as a nation with what while having no land for almost 2000 years. Right. right? Like they were united by something else, you know, their language and their culture and their and their people. Um, And so, yeah, just a fun. So when all of these European countries came into this region and said, oh, well, this. There's this city here, Syria, so all of this region must be Syria. We'll draw a line here, and the French can have that. And we'll draw this line over here, and the um, Germans can have that. Like, whatever. I don't I'm making that right. stuff up. But um,
1: When, when, when the, like, Arab nations were like, well, this city's mine now, and
0: that city's mine now. Right. And yeah. then all the people living in have nothing uniting them. It's not like all the Britons living in Britain were like yeah we all live here in the same place and they didn't they didn't have that but yeah. um,
1: so this movie does does do a lot of that um historical information for people and and we got to know that in 1960s especially early 1960s movies getting things historically accurate was not one of their fortes <laughs> right you know? right or or educating people in a in a an actual educational way that wasn't racist or you know sure sure or i mean Th- i mean we
0: did, we do still have the thing where you know most of these arabian characters are played by white are, english guys are whitewashed
1: for sure um, and that, that is a, a rough thing to to watch you know um yeah a guy with a thick english accent uh obi-wan kenobi trying to do arabian accent is Mm -hmm. terrible it's horrible he sounds awful you know (laughs) and and i'm like this is clearly an english accent you're doing that sounds bad um so anyway it it does do some things good like again there's a lot of complex stuff about the arabs during before world war one and even calling them arabs and stuff like that is is a thing but it does yeah i think it did do a good job of people watching this and, you know, there was no internet. People didn't get, you know, out of their towns, hardly let alone out of their states or out of the country right. ever. Right. Most people never did. So um, you didn't get to get on TV and watch, you know, everything across the world even. You got your local news maybe at 1962. So this, when you go and watch a show, you get to see what these other people are like, the how they're different than what you are. And, and it's a small glimpse at something that most people would have no,
0: no concept, concept of. of in 1962.
1: Yeah. So so even, this was yeah. – yeah. So it, I felt like it, I wasn't learned like, things and I have factual, the actual. Yeah, exactly. Even though it wasn't like 100% like, oh, this is exactly how things were over there, It I think it did do a lot for a movie.
0: Well, to, and you have this people. weird situation where the actual guy, T.E. Lawrence, did – like think really highly of himself and build up his own legend so like where things in the movie are exaggerated or inaccurate from reality is still sort of accurate to what the you know the people back home the folks back home believed about the things that he was doing over there
1: yeah yeah that's that that's a that's kind of almost a little side story i i was actually really most interested in like the the what's going on with the arab people in this movie and mm-hmm. and how they were doing things and their relationships between this stuff and, and when he was interacting with the arab people learning from them that that was really an interesting part for me um and then then you had the story of the guy like you were just describing the story his, of like,
0: Lawrence his and, his internal conflict and his like you know sort of being a fish out of water and then he sort of finds his home in in arabia but not really. But and not, then, yeah. And then he's home at the end, this whole and, like, uh, you know, Christ metaphor, m- Messiah kind of thing where he's, he's leading the people and they do some heavy handed right. sort of walk on yeah, water. Well, the, the, said,
1: the guy goes like when he's, he starts going off the deep end. I, I did, I kind of liked Lawrence when he was, um, in the movie. I liked him as he was going to Akaba and all the Acaba stuff. And mm-hmm. then as soon as he gets through Akaba, he does get this, and I, I guess it sounds accurate to actually the person, this God complex that God I am complex. I am I am a most I am a most amazing thing in the world and serve me. Mm-hmm. And this movie, again, did a good job of servicing that. Yeah. And I think that was by Peter O'Toole's acting. And he did not get a um, an award for this. There were seven Academy Awards. to be did not get a word for this one. He, he which... was
0: no, he was nominated for Best Actor, and Omar Sharif right. was nominated uh, support Best Supporting Actor.
1: Right, um, those, but he those he did not, not win. And one, but... and I think of all of the things that were in this movie that that it did, I think he did a really good job for 1962 acting of, of <laughs> the right. thing. He did a lot of in depth of what this character, this person, not character, but this person was.
0: Oh, um, well, you know, I mean, we talked. We I know we said earlier we weren't really going to talk about the Oscars because it's not that interesting. But one of the things about who wins when it depends on what else came out. Uh, yeah. The winner. Kill a Mockingbird
1: got it. That year, Yeah. Right? The
0: winner was Gregory Peck in To Kill a Mockingbird. So you're like, well, OK, yeah,
1: <laughs> sure. But but so so I, I get it. So this rounding up into this movie, uh, it's long. It has mm-hmm. the things that make it famous and probably put it on this list aren't the things that I actually liked about this. I think the reason people talk about Lawrence of Arabia is because it was uh, an experience in 1962 when you watched it that you'd never seen before because it was shot in the first time in this, what was then high definition, mm-hmm. big screen cameras that had never been seen before. And when you went and saw that, these gorgeous vistas it's kind of like you know what it's very much like the movie avatar people for the first time saw this gorgeous planet that had never been seen in this lush thing and that's exactly the kind of thing that happened
0: or lord of the rings is the same way like show fantasy like in 1962 most of the people watching this movie have probably never seen a desert definitely not seen the arabian desert exactly and this was maybe real thing maybe if they are were veterans and served in certain locations because it at this time people who served in world war one who remember the you know the legend of lawrence of arabia were still living right they were like in their 60s right Um, and and they would watch it and be amazed
1: at it because it would remind them right because it was it this wasn't cgi or some backdrop this was the actual huge desert and gorgeous kind of vistas so for four hours, and so this this movie gets its name and credit for, and and notoriety because of that. That that's actually what yeah. Lawrence Arabia is for. I enjoyed it for the historical perspective right. that it that it gave me on understanding. I yeah, think it did a really good job. To an that. Ec-
0: to an extent, you can appreciate the fact that um, because. Of all those things, because they had this ability to capture this landscape in this in this quality, in this detail. And because they had an audience who had never seen anything like this, you can sort of forgive it for saying sometimes sometimes a lot of it, especially as you said before, Aqaba, um, the some of the long sequences with the desert are in service to the story. Like it's it's emphasizing and really, really you know, sort of beating into you the idea that this is a vast distance they're traveling. And it's that's very true. Barren very and true. there's nothing. That's very true. You, you get you get past that to a certain point where you're like, OK, they're really just showing us all of this for so long because they can, because it's part of what they're trying to do. And so if you, um, you know, if you just want to get the highlights and the high points, I'm sure there is there are, you know, abridged, quote unquote, cuts of this movie where you can get. Yeah. You know, and, and, the essentials. and you know what
1: you can e- easily do. And I do recommend, I actually 100% recommend it for this movie is the skip forward. 32nd button. I You sure. know, I, I'll say for example, there's a scene early on where he's at a well and there's a guy walking from the far off distance in the desert. He's a little mm. dot on the horizon. Right. And the movie sits there with that camera <laughs> fixed on that guy for like 10 minutes as he walks up slowly across <laughs> the horizon to you. Well, and you can just—that's
0: tension, right? Like you're supposed to feel what he feels. Like, who is this guy? Is he dangerous? Is he a friend? Right, but I I
1: think you could have done it in like a minute and a half, right? You know, so so being being able to like skip thirty seconds, okay, he's still there, and now he's like a quarter of an inch. Okay, skip thirty seconds, now he's (laughs) a half an inch. Okay, skip thirty seconds, and and nothing's changed but that you can still get it, right? Sure. And I and I think a lot of this with this movie, that's totally fine. You, yes, you're right. You will build up some tension, but it'll also build release some terrible anxiety that you're wasting time, <laughs> you know, um, and, and it's okay. Uh, the, the journey through the desert, you're right, does has a purpose. But again, if you edit it, you could still get that feeling and you can personally, my recommendation is to personally edit his skip forward 30, 30 mm. minutes if they're talking like, oh, back up 10 seconds.
0: You know. <laughs> but, but
1: for the most part, they're they're not. They're just still traveling on their camels. Um, so anyway, I would not put this on my top 100 list. I enjoyed it the way I watched it. Um, and I do like old movies. Like I like old sixties movies and stuff like that. This does not have a thing at the end where you're going to be like, oh, this is where the journey he came from. This is where he is in the ending. This is just kind of a movie that was like Lawrence does have some changes, but it's not like he changed the world. Sure. Se, at the
0: at the end he didn't like now the arabs are free. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So that it's that's just, a little that's a little hard and his like he doesn't really he goes through a change but it's not necessarily for the better. Yeah. It um, nothing
1: it, yeah, he 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 goes through it and then you're like okay, he ended up here. <laughs> what what's what? Right, you know. So and because he is a real person and that is the kind of the story or the the thing. So anyway, it, yeah. yeah, it's not a, it's not a show about, I don't know what, what it's, I mean, it's just kind of an education. It's a big documentary that has some people that, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think in the, I don't know what sort of category this movie goes in. Again, I always, that's just how my brain works. I got to mm-hmm. go to categories. Um I think. Maybe up against it are things like Ben Hur and Ten Commandments, neither of which I've seen all the way through. You know, mm-hmm. they were just on at my grandparents' house at Thanksgiving or whatever. Um, and so, I think if you know, in the in the list of three old long movies that we've seen so far, um, I, you know, if you if you already watched. If you're already watching Seven Samurai and Two Thousand One, you probably don't need to also see this. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of on the fence whether I would drop Two Thousand One and keep this. Two Thousand One is its own special Man, I would,
1: I would, in, in a heartbeat. Snowflake, but <laughs>
0: right. um, but I and and I'll agree. You know, I'll I'll uh, affirm what what you said. It it definitely can be watched I watched it in two chunks there was definitely a, a point in the first half where I started doing something on my phone and just listening and I realized that I was not I was not getting it because as I've said many times before a lot of the best films do a lot of visual storytelling and while this movie does have a lot of dialogue and that sort of thing there is so much just in the visual like you have to see you know you have to see the look on his face when he has to make certain decisions. Um, and you're going to, you're going to miss that if you're just, gonna yeah. Yeah.
1: It. It and, and like... but I, I do think though, because I was kind of, I, I did actually watch it, watch it, but I know that my mind would drift at the, the long boring parts. I, mm-hmm. I would say that um, the words, the words are, are, are worth it. And they're pretty well done They They don't waste your time a lot with, um, you know, games or whatever that I think his conversation when he sits down and he talks to a sheik or he talks to somebody mm-hmm. is every single time he talks to somebody is a thing, yeah. you know, he doesn't, he doesn't talk when he comes into town. There's not a lot of talking and a lot of stuff. He comes into town they bring him into, to the general's office. And then that conversation is with the general's office goes on for about five to 10 minutes. And every bit of it's important.
0: Yeah. I mean, for, yeah. for a movie that's so long and has so many long sequences, There's a lot of very efficient, uh, uh, information delivery, right? Like when, when his character is introduced, he's painting in a map. If you know, which I didn't until I watched that YouTube video, T.E. Lawrence, before he was sent to Arabia was in charge of collecting and organizing maps for the British army in Cairo. And then he does the thing with the match and the other guy tries it. And he's like, uh, I don't understand how you how you make it not hurt. And whatever however that that dialogue goes and he's like the the trick is to not mind that it hurts. Right. So now you know everything you need to know about this character so that when he goes to the desert and does crazy things like he's a white English guy from Wales in the desert but only drinks when the um when the Bedouin drinks um you understand that Oh, he's a guy who has, for all of his other faults, he has enough uh, self, you know, discipline, mental or whatever, to uh, sort of resist discomfort. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, and yeah, I thought that was not
1: not not to not to drag out the the (laughs) long synopsis for a long movie, but yeah, final final judgments on this one is that I, I fairly enjoyed my time with it. I will not watch it again. I mean, mm-hmm. unless I'm forced to. Um, and and, and I, if someone said, hey, I'm thinking about watching Lawrence of Arabia because I'm interested in you know, the, that time period and that stuff, I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine to, to watch. But if they would ask me what's a movie that I should watch, I don't think that this would be one that I would recommend to anyone. Not because it's bad or anything. I just think that there are 100 other movies that are probably better, do, does other historical things better. Sure. And you could learn a lot more from more cinematography better you know they could just do a lot of things better it's fine it's just, i mean if i think you know.
0: if you're if you're approaching a project like you know a bucket list of movies and 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 coming from it from a sort of film student kind of perspective you're almost better off sitting through 2001 I don't, I don't. Yeah, because at
1: least, yeah, it's, at least that has some kind of art house type thing. Sort of to, art in the in the
0: conclusion. This is just—it's like Lord of the Rings. It's a chronicle. It's just a sequence of events, and the the conclusion, the interpretation is left up to you,
1: right? And and since you and I, or anyone watching this movie now, can't fully appreciate the fact that you are going to a Saturday night movie with your entire family for four hours <laughs> and going to have a picnic outside because movies aren't a thing that you get to do all the time we can't experience it that way. We never will experience it for that way. Therefore we will actually never be able to fully appreciate what it was like to have this movie come out in 1962 and have the impact of it. I can say, I appreciate what it was and what it did for those people, but no one will be able to have the full appreciation of what this movie did because it's just not capable anymore to do that. Yeah. Experiences, it it's- yeah. It's like drive-ins. You can't just talk about drive-ins anymore. You can't experience them hardly much. Right. So, uh, right. Yeah, I, I would not put this on my on my list. I give it not, full props and appreciation. Not but.
0: that it not not that it doesn't not that it doesn't hold up, but I think if you have enough of a block of time that you're going to watch a really long old movie like this, I would I would put Seven Samurai way way ahead of this. I would probably agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Seven All Samurai right. warms up to me in my mind after watching <laughs> a lot of these other movies. Every time old. you watch a new uh, a new a old new, long movie, a new, yeah, new long movie. Okay, next week uh we are going to watch the usual suspects
1: oh, oh okay that sounds okay i've not seen that one so uh mm-hmm.
0: this is brian singer um it's relatively short <laughs>
1: comparatively uh, relatively short
0: uh uh kevin spacey so that's a little a little awkward now but uh, <laughs> right right it's, um, it's a okay, crime cool. crime drama thriller
1: yeah one i'll have to actually sit and watch and not have to watch the desert
0: going <laughs> right right yeah. So you've been listening to The Front Porch. This is episode 129. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. Uh, If you like Star Trek or role-playing podcasts, you can check out our other show, KlingonsandDragons.com. We should have a new episode up by the time this episode airs. Uh, It's not safe for work. If you like to use email and want to reach out to us, you (laughs) can do that. FrontPorchPod at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com. I will have show notes, probably just a couple of YouTube videos this week. Uh, There's a contact form there. Again, if you want to reach out to us, you can comment on the episodes. We've got the schedule for the 100 movies there. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, you could subscribe. Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. Thanks as always for listening. And until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. Front Porch. Hi, everybody. See you next time.